Amen. Thank you, Jim. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Appreciate, as Kenny said, y'all coming out on a cold, wet Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there, Matthew chapter 25. And uh, we'll get to that here in just a second. But I want to give you a little bit of review. We're in week four of our series covering the spiritual gifts. We defined a spiritual gift a couple weeks ago as follows, a God-given ability. That is, it's not a natural talent. Sometimes it may tie into some natural talents that we have, but this is something that God gives you, the Holy Spirit gives you when you become a believer. It's a God-given ability to perform supernatural ministry. That is, the Holy Spirit is involved with you when you are using that gift. When the Holy Spirit's involved with you when you're using that gift, it creates spiritual fruit out of that. So it's a supernatural gift to perform uh, ministry for Jesus Christ. That is, the purpose of the spiritual gifts are so that we can glorify God, or so that we can bring praise to Jesus, recognition to his name. It's not for us to be celebrated. It's not for us to be applauded, but rather it's so that God can be lifted up and glorified through it. That's the purpose of the gift. Um, we covered last week the gift of apostleship, um, and we talked about how there are no apostles in the world today. The Bible simply doesn't support the idea that there are apostles alive in the world today. Uh, the apostles were somebody that had seen the risen Jesus. That was one of the criteria. And since Jesus has left and gone up to heaven since the first century, um, nobody has seen the risen Lord. Um, and so we talked about how the gift of missionary service, which was tied into apostleship, is connected to this idea of apostleship. And so that is uh, one of the gifts that we talked about last week, this idea of going and evangelizing cross-culturally in other settings. Um, people who have that gift, y'all learned last week that I don't have that gift, and, uh, but many of you do, and some, there was a bunch of folks here last week that um, attended the, the informational meeting about the trip to Romania after church, and so we're excited to have a group of folks that are going to go and use their gifts for missionary service um, overseas here in the coming year. Um, today, we want to turn our attention to two new gifts, and again, each week we'll be covering a couple of gifts, three gifts, something like that. Today, we're going to cover two. We're going to talk about the gift of prophecy and the gift of service. But before we do, I'm going to ask for you to stand to your feet. We're going to read from God's Word. And as we read through this, this is a parable that Jesus taught about these talents. And uh, in Jesus' story, three different men were given talents. One of them was given ten, one of them was given five, and one of them was given one talent. And so we're going to read what happened to the third of those guys after he had been given his talent and the master returned to see what sort of production had been taking place. Let's read Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to anyone, or give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may be seated. All right, so let's, uh, I'm going to put that to the side for just a little while, and we're going to deal with this first topic of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is the gift of prophecy? Well, there are two key components. 
when it comes to the gift of prophecy. And both of those are found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God instituted this office, where God said, hey, look, I'm going I'm to appoint prophets among you, the Israelites. And so what's happening in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is that the Israelites are camped at the, bow, the, the base of Mount Sinai, and God has stepped out and spoken to them directly. And they hear God's voice, and the earth shakes, and the ground quakes, and everybody's knees are knocking, and they don't like this. It's very scary to them. And so they come to Moses, and they say, Moses, please don't ever let God do that again. We don't ever want God to speak to us directly again because it's too scary for us. Um, so Moses, y'all need to figure something else out. And so God says, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 17, he says, they are right in what they have spoken. In other words, that's a really good idea. So let's move forward with that. He says, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded. So the first of the two abilities that a prophet has is that the prophet is spoken to directly by God himself. That is, the prophet has direct communication, one-on-one, face-to-face with God himself. Um, he slips off behind a mountain someplace, climbs up on a mountain someplace, goes into the Holy of Holies, whichever it is, but God speaks to this person directly as if I'm speaking to you right now. It says here in verse 18 that God says, I will put my words in his mouth. God is directly giving information to this prophet. And that's what being a prophet was all about. It was about going into the presence of God and having God speak to that person directly. We have a slide here for you, and it shows one of these criteria here is that the prophet speaks to God directly. Everybody got that? All right, okay, good. And so every single prophet received direct revelation from God himself, and so because of that direct access, the prophet didn't simply quote scripture, the prophet wrote scripture, because friends, that's what this is. This is the direct communication from God himself written down so that you and I can read what God thinks and what God says. Um, So the prophet had direct communication with Almighty God. The second criteria that constituted the office of the prophet was that he had the ability to predict the future without any sort of error. Skip forward, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 21, it says, and if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word of the Lord has spoken? In other words, how are we going to, what litmus test can we use? How can we know for sure, God, that uh, this is you speaking through this person? I mean, they could just step up in front of us and say, thus saith the Lord. They can step up in front of us and just tell us, this is what I think God is saying. How do we know for sure that this is really you speaking? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is, it doesn't actually happen, then that, it, then that is a word the Lord has not spoken, and the prophet has spoken presumptuously. In other words, the prophet has assumed that he heard something from me that he did not hear. The prophet got a little bit ahead of himself, and he stood out in front of people. So the litmus test that you can use here is whether or not the words the prophet speaks actually come true to know whether or not this is a true prophet of God. He says you don't need to be afraid of that guy. You don't need to be afraid of that prophet because that's not a true prophet. He's speaking words that don't actually come true. So what God has done at the outset of establishing this office of prophecy is that he has given the people a way to validate whether or not a prophet is a true prophet of God, and that is by whether or not they can predict the future accurately. They can't predict the future accurately. This is not somebody that's speaking to God directly. For example, Samuel from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, and Samuel grew, he got older, grew up, and the Lord was with Samuel and let none of his words fall to the ground. That is, he let none of Samuel's words not come to pass, go unfulfilled. Everything that Samuel said came true, verse 20, 
It says, therefore, all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, the length and breadth of the nation, knew or was confirmed that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. How did they confirm it? They confirmed it because everything that Daniel prophesied came true. They could test it. They could, Samuel said something a couple of months later, a year later, whichever it was. Whatever Samuel said came true, so they knew that it verified him as a true prophet. The point is, the ability to predict the future accurately is the litmus test of whether or not someone is a true prophet. I don't mean some sort of a vague, the stock market's going to go up tomorrow. I mean, anybody can see that. Anybody can say that that's going to be the case based on news that's happening today. Rather, it has something to be something that is so unknown and so precise that it confirms that there is no way that this man or this woman could possibly have predicted that unless God had spoken to them, unless God had given them that information. There's no way they could have done it otherwise. God, I, I, the, the biblical prophets were accurate over a long period of months or years, or in the case of Samuel, over the course of his whole lifetime, it says that God let none of his words fail. Now, just as a little bit of an aside, because I know you're going to want to ask the question, what difference does all this make? A little bit later in the sermon, right? And you're wondering, well, does that mean that some of us have the gift of prophecy? Well, I have taught here at Hebron. I know I did it several years ago on a Wednesday night. I don't know that I've ever taught it here at Sunday morning on a sermon. I'm not going to get deep into it today. But it is my particular opinion based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. You can go flip over there and read it yourself. But it talks about how prophecies will cease. And it talks about how tongues will cease. And it is my opinion that my opinion, you know, theologians will disagree, but that this gift was a gift that was given to the early church, it was given to the church in the first century, and it is a gift that has ceased to continue to be used in the church. The Holy Spirit is not continuing to give the gift of prophecy. It's not continuing to be used in the church today. Now, again, that's my opinion. Don't you fuss at me after church, whatever. I don't know what sort of a background you were raised in, what sort of church you came out of, but that's my opinion. That's how I read the scriptures um, on this particular issue. So when asking what difference does the gift of prophecy make to my life, if you say, well, I think I got the gift of prophecy, well, I don't think it makes any difference to your life because I don't see the gift of prophecy operating in the church in the world today. And so I got no job for you if you think you got the gift of prophecy, at least here at Hebron, all right? So just so you know. All right, so let's, let's jump over from that and look at the gift of service. The Greek word diakona, which is translated service, it's what appears in Romans chapter 12. A couple weeks ago, we took a look at this long list in Romans chapter 12, all the different spiritual gifts. You say, why are you picking the order of prophecy? and now Well, that's the order that Romans chapter 12 gives us, so I'm just following the order there. But in Romans chapter 12, it says that uh, some are given the gift of service, and that word service comes from the Greek term diakona, which is where we get our term deacon from. And this is a support role in the church. You know, not everybody has speaking gifts. Not everybody has public, out-in-front type of gifts. Thank God for that, right? We don't need a bunch of chiefs around here. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 6. We'll pick up in Acts chapter 6, and you'll see some of these service-oriented gifts being used in the early church. Um, in Acts chapter 6, you're about ready to witness the very first church split. Um, it doesn't actually happen, but they're heading toward it happening. And of course, it's not over some doctrinal issue because most church splits aren't over doctrinal issues. It's over a petty issue about whether or not who's going to give food to support the widows. That's, that's the gift that, that that's, that's what they're arguing about. That's what the issue was. The apostles um, called the church together to decide on this issue. Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, everybody's all upset. And they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to go and serve tables. Now, I know some folks have read that verse before, and they've said, what, are the apostles too good? 
to go and serve the widows? Are the apostles, is it beneath them to try and help these widows out? I mean, I thought Jesus had taught them to serve. Well, yes, Jesus had taught them to serve over and over and over again. Um, and so, uh, so then that's not the issue. That's not what we're dealing with here. Um, the apostles, rather, are saying, you know what? We've been given certain gifts, gifts that other folks in the church don't have. And in order for us to use those gifts and to maximize those gifts, we can't be sidetracked over here doing table service. We can't be sidetracked over here doing some sort of food delivery, uh, food allocation service, um, because there's jobs that God has given us and gifted us for that only we can do. And so if we're going to use those gifts, then we need to pass this other stuff on to somebody who's gifted for helping provide for the widows. So therefore, they said, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, and while they were doing that ministry, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, everybody thought this was a really good idea. The whole church said, yeah, you know what? We can see that you're gifted for these certain things and that there's probably other people in the church that are gifted to do these other things. And so let's appoint seven men, let's identify seven men, and have them take care of the widows, have them do the ones who do the table service that are carrying the food around, that are making sure everybody's getting taken care of. It says, verse 6, And so they set these men before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Now again, many people believe that these are the first deacons that are appointed in the church, and that may be the case. But whether or not that's the case, the point is that these seven men came alongside the apostles in a support role. And they ministered behind the scenes without any fanfare, without the roar of the crowd, without all the attention. And they ministered there so that they could free the apostles whom God had called to public ministry to do the job that God had called the apostles to do. And so the result of this was, look at verse 7, it says, and the word of God continued to dwindle. That's not what it says, is it? And it says, and the word of God, because everybody was using their gifts, continued to sputter out. That's not what the verse says, does it? It says that the word of God continued to increase. That is, the church was growing, the church was flourishing. And you say, well, why was the church flourishing? Why was the word of God continuing to grow? Why was it continuing to increase? It was continuing to increase, friends, because everybody in the church was using their gift. Because everybody in the church was taking the gift that the Holy Spirit had given them individually, whether it was a gift or gifts, and they were using those for the glory of God. Friends, this is the gift of service. End of verse 3 says, And even a greater number of priests, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. The gift of service is a willingness to come alongside people with a public gift, a willingness to come alongside the ministry of a local church and to do all kinds of behind-the-scenes work that has to be done in order for people who go out and do the public work to be able to accomplish what it is that they are doing. And remember, one group is not better than the other group. The ones who act in public service and those who act behind the scenes. Not one group is better than the other group because the team won't succeed if everybody's not doing their part, right? Right? That's the way that works. And, then, uh, and so everyone is essential to the success of the team. The church today, friends, is full of these kinds of people, and many of them don't even know what it is that they have that they're using, right? That this is a gift of service. People with the gift of service are people who find great joy and great fulfillment in serving behind the scenes, not from being a visible upfront role, but from being in a support role behind the scenes. They're not the people who are sitting around saying, you know what, I can't wait 
till I get to get up front. I can't wait till I get to get up in front of some people and teach some stuff. These are people who say, instead, I get my joy, I get deep satisfaction from serving behind the scenes, from serving outside the fanfare, from serving in a way that's not visible. That is the gift of service, and God knows how crucial that gift is for the success of the church. It's like a football team. You have the people that are out in the open. They're out on the field. They're playing the game. The Bulldogs are out there on Saturdays, and we in the roar of the crowd, and we're cheering for the folks, and we see their name printed across the back of their jersey, and we see the coaches on the sidelines, and they got their headsets on, and they're having the, the interviews with the media before and after the game, and everybody knows who all those folks are. But there's a whole host of people to help pull off everything that happens out there on the field for the success of the team. People like the trainers. The trainers who take, tape up ankles and fingers and stretch these guys out and rub down their legs and their shoulders and help them stay in tip-top shape. Friends, those players couldn't go out there and do what they do on the field if it wasn't for the trainers that keep their bodies going. And how about the laundry staff? Moms, would you like to wash the laundry of 50-plus stinky, sweaty guys the way they abuse those uniforms every day? No. But there are people who do that. There's a staff that works late into the night and all the next day scrubbing out grass stains and getting the sweaty stink out of their socks so that when the team goes out and takes the field on game day, they look like they're something, right? They look like they're not a bunch of ragtag group of folks. How about the equipment crew? The equipment crew that takes all the equipment, all the helmets and the shoulder pads and everything, they carry them from the locker room out to the practice field. They carry that stuff in the practice field out back to the locker room. They carry that stuff in the locker room to the to the stadium. They carry that stuff from the stadium to the trailer. They put that stuff on the trailer. They drive 600 miles from Missouri back to Athens, Georgia, right? And they do this again the next week, week in and week out. You got these folks that are serving behind the scenes, the helmets, the shoulder pads, the cleats, the gloves. Friends, you don't suppose that those players carry all that stuff to the games with them, do you? No, they, everything would be missing. You'd have guys having to borrow helmets. You'd have guys having to borrow. One of our guys here at the church actually works for the works for the university, and he's part of the equipment, actually runs all the equipment stuff for the, for the team. And he said one time, uh, Blankenship, they had forgotten his green tea. Apparently, he kicks off on a green tea. It's his thing. And they for somehow forgot the green tea. And so one Saturday afternoon, he said, Blankenship's over there freaking out in the locker room because they had forgotten his green, his green tea. They were out of town. And so he said he had to walk over to him and just literally grabbed him and said, it's going to be okay. Right? Gave him a black tea. said, it'll work just the same. So anyhow... But if the players did have to do all those things, friends, if the players did have to do all their own laundry and carry their own equipment and have the trainers, didn't have the trainers to take care of their bodies, they could not go out on the field and be successful and do all that they do. And we'll probably never see all those people behind the scenes. We'll probably, the Bulldog Nation will probably know, never know any of their names. But if we just pulled DeAndre Swift aside and we pulled Coach Smart aside and said, could you do all that you do without all that support staff and people, they would say, there is no way. We could operate and be successful the way we are without all of those people. They're vital for the success of the team. Friends, the church is the very same way. God has gifted certain people in the church with a gift of service. They're not interested in being preachers. I had somebody tell me just yesterday, I don't know how you get up in front and stand up in front of people like you do, but I'm glad that you do, and I don't have that gift, he said. And I'm glad there's somebody that does. There are people in our church who are not interested in being evangelists or teachers, they don't want to be on the platform. Instead, they get their joy from being anything they can do to support what's happening in public. We can go out on the field. We can win for the church. We can win for the Lord. We can win for the team. 
And these people are in support roles making everything happen. It's a great gift. Because, I mean, how many people are willing to say, you know what, I get my joy, I get my fulfillment in not being recognized? Isn't that a wonderful gift? You say, well, Gordon, if I have that gift, how do I use that here at Hebron? In other words, what difference does all this make to my life, right? Well, if I could fill the rest of the morning telling you how to use the gift of service, I would tell you about the outlets that we have around here, and they're limitless. For example, we have folks in here who just about a month ago walked into this sanctuary with a whole bunch of decorations for Christmas, right? And they put all that stuff up all over the walls and up here on the stage. And we walked in one Sunday, and there was nothing. We walked in the next Sunday, and it was all looked like Christmas. And then we walked in a couple of Sundays after Christmas, and it was all gone, right? You don't think that stuff just like the wind blew through here, and it all just went out the door, do you? No, those were people who came, who operated behind the scenes, who, who nobody knew their names. I knew their names, but we didn't know their names. And they were using their gift of service. We have other folks who go out and mow the grass faithfully every summer. I mean, you don't think that the Lord God says, you know, the grass at Hebron ought never grow. Right? No, that's not the way that happens. So we got to have people that go out and keep the lawnmowers running and the, and the tires when they get pop plugged and, 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 and the, the pine straw doesn't just magically fall out of the pine trees around here and fluff itself up into the, into the flower beds. No, there's a group of men who get together a couple times a year. They prune the trees. They put pine straw in the beds. They plant new bushes. They do all the things that make this place look nice and presentable. You don't, who do you suppose squirts all that juice in those little cups? every Sunday. You don't think I'd do that, do you? I mean, I'd, be, I'd make a terrible mess out of the thing. But no, there's people who come in here faithfully every Sunday, extra early, and they hit those little cups. I mean, there's over a hundred of those things every Sunday, and they fill those little cups and make sure the cracker trays are full. People using their gift of service working behind the scenes. And how about the slides that you see every Sunday up here behind me? We got, we got data entry Brian back there at the back, uh, who comes in. He beats me here some Sunday mornings, and uh, make sure that all the slides are just right for the music and all the slides are just right for the sermons, entering that stuff into the computer using a gift of service. People who find joy, real, true joy and fulfillment out of using their gift to serve the team, to serve the Lord. How about our Sunday school members who do things like setting out coffee every Sunday morning, straightening up the room, making sure the chairs are right, making sure the pencils are put back in the little cups, making sure the papers aren't uh, all over the place, who do the things that have the room neat and ready so that when the class comes, the teacher doesn't have to worry about all those extra things. How about the people at VBS who do all the cutouts and prepare the crafts and take the children potty so that the teacher can do their job? Several years ago, I've told this before, not this story, but I've let you all know before, but years ago I was a youth pastor, and on the way back one time from a trip, the, the stomach bug hit, hit, hit my van. And uh, they were dropping like flies. I was having to like literally pull off the road. Somebody'd say, mm -mm -mm, and I'd have to pull off the road, and out they'd go. And then we throw them back in the van, and we head back on down the road. We get another thirty minutes, and then somebody else. Well, when we got back to the van, I don't want to get too 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 graphic here. All right, but <laughs> when we got back to the church after the end of this stomach bug trip, right, it was about five hours. When we got back to the church. I'm just going to tell you, there was some stuff still in the van, and uh, I didn't have that gift. <laughs> and I was thankful for the person that did, that came and made sure that everything got cleaned up the way it needed to get cleaned up. We have finance committee members here at Hebron who count the offering and keep the records and get everything to the bank each and every Sunday. Friends, somebody has to do that stuff, right? 
People with the gift of service do that. You say, Gordon, who are all these people? Well, I know who many of these people are. Our staff knows who many of these people are. But outside of that, most of us will never know their names. They are people among us who take care of all the things that happen behind the scenes that allow what we experience here on Sunday morning to work and make it possible. We could not do the ministry of the church without people using their gifts to serve. And you know, as God has blessed our church, we've had a lot of people who have jumped in and said, where can you use me? I have this gift. Maybe they didn't even know that they had this gift, but they knew there was something compelling them to want to go and serve. And so they've gotten involved and they've made ministry happen. Let me close this morning by saying to you a little bit about the issue of accountability, particularly the issue of accountability before God. Oftentimes we come into a church and we start talking about this issue of accountability, and we read that passage that we read a few moments ago about the talents and how God gives us some talents, and a lot of pastors will use that when they're trying to build something, right? And when the church is trying to build something, they'll talk about how we need money and how God's given you money, and you need to make sure that you take the money that God's given you and know that, understand that all of your money belongs to God, and you need to use that and give it back to Him for His glory. And so that passage of Scripture that we read ties into that idea of money a lot, and that's not wrong to do. God is going to hold us accountable for how we handle his money, but far too seldom we do not really take stock of how God is going to hold us accountable for the gifts that he has given us. Remember, a spiritual gift is a God-given gift. It's his, that he has entrusted to each one of us. I would say, friends, that God is going to hold us accountable for how we use the giftedness that he has given every single one of us as Christians. You remember the story that we read a few moments ago, how there were three guys. One of them was given 10 talents. One of them was given five talents. One of them was given one talent. The first guy, the 10, took what the master had given him. He doubled his, uh, his money. By the time the master came back, the Lord thought well of that. The second guy had given five talents. He had doubled his money. The Lord thought well of that. The master thought well of that. And then you get down to this third guy, and he buried his talent in the ground. And he didn't produce anything for the master. He didn't, he let it lie dormant. And the master upon his return said to that man, Matthew 25 and verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. Friends, I don't think the master was all that happy with that servant. In fact, I'd say he was angry. You wicked servant, he called him. Very harsh. But to the man that used his talent to bring glory to God, that used his talent for the purposes of God, and the advancement of the kingdom, he said, Matthew 25, verse 21, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into your, the joy of your master. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be greeted the way that last guy got greeted when I get to heaven. I, I, I sure don't want to hear Jesus saying words like he said to that guy. I mean, that's why Jesus told this parable, right? He wanted us to know this is what you're going to be facing when you get stand before the Lord. And one of the ways, friends, that we can get a good greeting when we get to heaven is not only by giving to the work of the ministry, but even more importantly, what did we do with the gift that each and every one of us has been given? Did we bury it in the ground? Did we give him a half-hearted effort with the gift that we had? 
Did we use them only when it was convenient, or did we make up our mind that we were going to glorify God, that we were going to take the gift that God had given us, that we would use it sacrificially, even when it didn't necessarily fit our schedule. Nevertheless, we used our gift for the glory of God. You know, in the Old Testament, God would not accept a blemished lamb from the Israelites. A blemished lamb was a lamb that had a sore on it, perhaps had a broken leg or had something wrong with it. A lamb that would have been a good lamb to cull out of the flock and get rid of to use as a sacrifice. But God said, nope, the only lamb that you're allowed to bring me, the only lamb that you're allowed to bring as a sacrifice to me is an unblemished lamb. That is a perfect, spotless, nothing wrong with it lamb. Friends, this should tell us something about what God expects when it comes to using our spiritual gifts. Are we giving God the best that we've got with what he has given us? Are we giving God something that resembles a blemished lamb? Friends, at the end of uh, this series, my prayer is that each of us will discover what our spiritual gift is. And that we as a church, I mean, we've covered three so far, right? May have not have gotten to yours yet. But my hope is that at the end of this series, we'll each have discovered what our spiritual gift is, understand what God has equipped us uniquely to do, and then begin using that gift for the glory of God, for the building up of his kingdom. This church could just take off, right? If we would all employ, just like the early church, the word of God increased, increased, because everybody was using the gift that God had given them. Friends, when we do that, may God help us to step out and use what he has imparted to each of us. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today. We thank you for a fresh reminder of what you have entrusted to each of us and the responsibilities that go along with that. God, if there's uh, some way that you would have us to step out and put into practice, put into use, what you have given us, or we ask that you'd make that known. And when you make that known, may we be obedient. May we be quick to say, you know what? There is joy, there is fulfillment that will fill my heart, my life, my family, my home when I put into practice what you have uniquely gifted me to do. We submit this time to you, O Lord. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.